Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Emmaus. How many, for how many of you is this your first time on campus and first time in this auditorium? Okay, a number of you. How many of you noticed since coming in the words on the back of the wall here? Anyone actually notice those and read them? Yeah, the things concerning himself. Well, those are very important words to us here at Emmaus. They, they represent really the heart of Emmaus Bible College. And as you can see from the wall, those words are taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 27. And before we get into the passage in John 8 that Emmeline read for us, I want to remind you of the context of Luke chapter 24. You remember the story. There are two disciples uh, walking toward a village called Emmaus. And they were deeply, deeply discouraged because they had been followers of Jesus, but Jesus has been put to death. He was, he was crucified. And they can't, they can't figure it out. They can't understand it. And as they're walking along the road, Jesus, who has risen from the dead, joins them, ironically. But he doesn't immediately reveal himself to them. They don't recognize him right away. Instead, he leads them, he, he leads them in a, essentially a Bible study. He wanted to show them from Scripture that the things that has, have happened, that they were so distraught over, were actually part of God's redemptive plan rooted in Scripture. Here's what the text says in, in Luke 24, verse 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then our verse, verse 27, and beginning with, with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The founders of Emmaus looked at that text and said, that's it. That's it. We want that to be the heartbeat and focus of this school, the things concerning himself. We want this to be a Christ-centered place. Now, that was over 80 years ago. And since that time, we've, we've added a lot of new programs and activities. We've changed the logo from this, but we haven't changed these words. In everything we do, we want this to, to remain the same. We want to do all that we do here at Emmaus for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want Jesus Christ to be at the center of everything. Now, here's the question. Why? Why? Why should Jesus Christ be at the center of an institution of higher education? Sure, he, he, he should be the center of a church, but a college? Shouldn't the focus be on preparing you to, to make a lot of money or to be an important person in the world? 
Well, that's what many colleges have become. It's no longer about the search for truth or the formation of character or loving God with our minds. Those were some of the noble original goals of the universities long ago. Things have changed, haven't they? I remember a, a painting that hung in the entrance of my high school. It was, of, it was of a beautiful house on a hill overlooking the ocean, and, and down a little way from, from the house was a five-car garage loaded with expensive cars. And the caption at the top of the painting said, Justification for Higher Education. And apparently, the administrators of my high school thought that vision would motivate us to go to college. That's what we ultimately want, what's on that picture. But you won't find that painting here. What gets us excited at Emmaus are the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because... He's the Son of God. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He's our great Redeemer who gave Himself for us and for our salvation. And one day He will return as King of kings and Lord of lords and of His eternal kingdom and reign there will be no end. He's the one who created our, our minds and gave us the ability to think and to reason and to solve problems and formulate ideas and produce creative works. And so we want to engage in our, our studies and learn in our classes for his glory, ultimately. In fact, we want to offer our work to him as an act of worship. And we want to grow in wisdom and knowledge and character and integrity in order that we might be more effective servants of him, our maker. And we think that's great preparation, not just for careers, which is important, but really for life and, in fact, for eternity. And that's true whether we're studying Bible and theology or science, or history, or intercultural studies, teacher education, or anything else, because we recognize that Christ is Lord of all. And so we do our work to glorify God. We're not ashamed of that. We're not embarrassed by that. That is our reason to be. And again, whether it's, it's <clears throat> nursing or business or youth ministry, we want to do it all for our great Savior. We don't want to waste our lives merely chasing oceanfront houses and passing pleasures because the fact is God has placed eternity in our hearts. And, and we want to focus on things that will endure beyond this life into eternity. And so, yes, our motto is the things concerning himself. And with that in view, I, I'd like you to look with me more carefully at, at John chapter 8, a passage that highlights the supremacy of Christ. But not unlike in our own day, Christ's claims here in this passage are met with intense, intense opposition. Just a little bit of the context here. Jesus is having a serious conversation with some religious leaders, and they thought they were the authorities. They thought they were right with God because of their religious traditions and their connections 
They viewed themselves as children of, of Abraham and even children of God. But Jesus exposes here that in rejecting him, they were not children of God. In fact, they were aligned with the devil. One commentator suggests that in this passage, we have some of the Bible's most sublime teaching on the person of Christ. But again, it comes in this context of intense opposition. You'll notice how the passage begins in verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You see, Jesus had dared to question their status of sons of Abraham and sons of God, and so they respond essentially with a racial slur. They call him a Samaritan. They hated Samaritans. They viewed Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics. But that's not all. Notice they also accuse him of being essentially crazy, being demon-possessed. What blasphemy against the Son of God? He revealed God to them. He was God in the flesh. He lived to honor the Father, and they despised and rejected him, just as Isaiah 53 had prophesied. We shouldn't, by the way, be, be surprised when Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, are called names and despised and thought to be crazy, Jesus said in John 15, 18, if, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But out of the insults that, that come in this passage, three amazing claims emerge, Jesus makes, that shows his supremacy, his greatness. The first claim is that the Father seeks the glory of Christ. The Father seeks the glory of Christ. Look at verse 50. Jesus says, Yet I, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Look at verse 54. <clears throat> Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Now, do you see the the significance of these statements, Jesus is saying that God seeks his glory. The Father glorifies Christ. Now, why is that significant? Well, because God is no idolater. He says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. And in Isaiah 48, verse 11, he declares, My glory I will not give to another. But here in John 8, Jesus says the Father seeks his glory, Jesus' glory. For God to seek Jesus' glory is to essentially say Jesus is God. But there's more. The second great claim comes in verse 51. Jesus delivers from death. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Wow. You see that? If anyone keeps my word, he will never see 
death. This is a remarkable statement. But, but what does it mean? We've, we've all probably been to Christian funerals. What Jesus is speaking of here is, is life that physical death can't extinguish. He's claiming to, to be able to impart eternal life to those who trust in him. And he will say in a, in a few chapters later, in chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The deepest fear, the, the greatest threat, the, the strongest enemy to every human life is death. And for many, many people, it is an absolutely terrifying prospect. Francis Bacon acknowledged that men fear death as children fear the dark. But Jesus says, trust in me, keep my word, and you'll never see death. I'll give you eternal life, life in the presence of God forever, so that even when your physical body is, is racked with pain and full of cancer and you breathe your last, you'll not truly die. You'll pass from this mortal life into the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And if you keep my word, believe in me, one day, I'll even raise the body that they put in the ground and transform it into a glorious new body that will live forever and will know the glory of God. No mere man can make such a claim. Jesus is saying that eternal life and deliverance from death come only through him. And we know that ultimately he accomplished that on the cross when he took our sin and paid its wages. He, he died for us. He died in our place. And he utterly defeated death by rising from the dead. The question is, do you accept his word and trust in him? See, these opponents did not, would not. All this was too much for them. And they, their response was to say in verse 52, now we know you have a demon. You are crazy. After all, even Abraham died. Prophets died. Who do you think you are, Jesus? And Jesus' response brings us to his third great claim. Jesus is Yahweh. Look at verse 56. <clears throat> Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, it's not precisely clear what Abraham saw, but he certainly believed and rejoiced in, in, in God's promise that his offspring would be, bring great blessing, blessing even to the nations. But Jesus doesn't say here in this text that Abraham rejoiced to see 
the messianic age or, or something like that. Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. As one writer put it, Jesus identifies the ultimate fulfillment of all Abraham's hopes and joys with his own person and work. What a claim. And the Jews hear this as complete lunacy. But it's mild to what Jesus says next. In verse 58, we have probably the most explicit and profound and powerful claim to deity. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This magnificent affirmation claims that Jesus existed before Abraham. But it does more than that, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He says, before Abraham was, I am. This is a claim to eternal existence. It's nothing less than a claim to deity because what Jesus is doing is identifying with the most sacred of divine names. He's claiming for himself God's own self-identification to Moses in Exodus 3. You might remember in that passage, Moses uh, says to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Exodus 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is where we get the sacred name Yahweh. And here in John 8, we learn Jesus is Yahweh. He's the great I am. And the Jews understand what he's, he's claiming because as soon as they hear him say it, they are filled with rage and they pick up stones to stone him. Stoning, by the way, was the punishment for blasphemy. And they heard Jesus saying things that only God should say. Now, he was, he was telling them the truth, but they could not bear to hear it. What staggering claims Jesus makes in this passage. He, he claims that the Father seeks his glory. He claims that if anyone keeps his word, they'll never see death. And he claims that he is nothing less than the eternal God, Yahweh. And the implication for our lives is staggering. There's no way any of us should, should walk out of here today indifferent or apathetic toward Jesus Christ. We either reject him as crazy as they did, or we must bow before him as the Son of God and give our lives to him. And this is why Emmaus is unapologetically a Christ-centered college. This is why we think that investing in a Christ-centered education is worth it. The Father seeks the glory of Christ, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we, in the way we approach higher education and learning and study and preparation for life and careers? Yes. In all these things, Christ is the center, and therefore, there's eternal significance in what we do here. 
Christ should be the center because he's the one who delivers from death. And when we do our work and our studies for him, our lives have significance even here and now in line with the purpose for which we were created to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Christ should be the center because, as we see in this passage, we come face to face with the eternal God in the person of Christ. Our hearts, our minds, our lives were made for Him. And what a joy it is to to study in a community where, where we want to honor Christ in all that we do as the eternal one. The things concerning Himself. Whether you come to Emmaus or not, and, and, and we really hope you will come, let this, be the, let this be the theme of your life. And, and let, we, let me remind all of us, current Emmaus students, faculty, staff, let's remember why we exist. Let's not just have this as a statement on the back of a wall or, or a slogan on our seal. Let's pursue the the things concerning himself as the daily goal and the joy of our being here at Emmaus Bible College. Let's pray. Father, what a joy and a privilege it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to be in this context where we can openly honor him in all that we do. We do pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified among us. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.